0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. And happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope you all had an amazing weekend. You all, we have a treat today. We have one of my dear friends, Sophie Barron here from the conversationalist who was here to talk about the platform and how they empower Gen Z to have difficult conversations and how a cool essay that she wrote for HuffPost back in, I think it was 2016, 2017, um, how that kind of sparked the platform and to have difficult conversations and to have a space for him. And so she's just really cool down to earth and just such a fun person to talk to. So if you like conversations, if you like talking, if you... Just want to hang out and hear what somebody has to say. You're in the right place. So grab a seat, grab a snack, and get ready for Sophie to talk to us about how the conversation conversationalist got started and what she plans on doing next. Yay, Sophie. Welcome you all. You have no idea we went through a struggle before we got started. So we are excited to now be getting started. So bear with us.
1: <laughs> Colin, I'm just so grateful to be here. So thank you so much for having me.
0: It's like those people on the show, happy to be in the room, happy to be in the room. Like,
1: Anytime I'm I'm in your presence, I just, I have an instant smile on my face, truly.
0: uh, Thank you. Oh my goodness. Well, Sophie, before we get started, we always do the question here of what the term young influential means to you when you hear it. Oh
1: my gosh, well, I don't don't even... even... I don't even know if I would consider myself a young influential. Like the fact that you wanted me on your show meant so much to me because when I hear young influential, I, I immediately think of a young person, obviously, we're not talking about boomers here on your show, but someone who, who uses their voice in a way that has some sort of positive impact on hopefully another person or a group of people. And that's how I interpret it. And that's how I try to lead my life, trying to make sure that, whatever I'm doing is purposeful and impactful in a way that will hopefully influence others in a positive way to do the same.
0: Oh my god that just perfect answer we see what you did there we love to hear it. Colin has it. anyone
1: asked you what being a young influential
0: means to you? I feel like if they did I feel like I said the, the like basic answer of like someone who's young and like doing influential impactful things like that's as far as I go
1: (laughs) aka you so it's fitting that
0: you're you're the host get out of here (laughs) but now take us back to like childhood Sophie like what um was like interviews and like journalism and that type of aspect um did that have an impact on your life like did you have favorites growing up
1: a great question and i mean taking us all the way back i i grew up in wichita kansas right in the middle of the u.s colin have you been to kansas
0: i have i've been to kansas city and i loved it um my sister-in-law used to live there um i loved kansas city i thought it was i had a great time i'm a huge like Amazing. kc cheese fan go patrick mahomes
1: oh no place again. like mahomes this yeah. is what i always yes. say but, but when you say that <laughs> Colin, were you on the Kansas side or the Missouri side when
0: you were in- I was on the Kansas side. Okay, good. It counts. It counts.
1: There we go. Um, so I I guess growing up in Kansas, I, I was someone who was always interested by pop culture, but I never thought journalism or content was really in my future. I, I think I just was someone who living in the Midwest wanted to feel connected to the world around me. And when- social media was born I was so grateful to like immediately have a way to interact with the people around me in a more purposeful way but I wouldn't say that was even in the cards for me growing up I didn't even know that that was possible
0: like and that's what's always so cool about it's like whenever we're like watching these things we're like that like that's only they can do that but then like when we start doing it we're like wait am I who I saw is this what's going on <laughs>
1: absolutely oh absolutely
0: but like school-wise like did you study like the uh reporting to like like media or reporting or journalism or was that like one of your favorite subjects or like how did that go as like we lead on
1: absolutely and did you hear that because I think that was the Riverside chat support Wait, sound Wait, if I'm you screaming. heard it I didn't hear um, anything Okay, great. So then we'll we'll skip it and keep going. Um, I studied communications when I got to college. And that was really where I think I first got lit up by the idea of creating media and content that could really help inspire people. Um, But up until that point, I mean, I was the kid who followed the yellow brick road to college, but had no idea what I wanted to study. I just wanted to get there, be surrounded by people who were different from me. And I was so undecided about my major until I was forced to declare one. And I picked communications because I thought it was relevant and it resonated with me. And again, I mentioned I was someone who always wanted to connect with other people. I was so passionate about social media. And then once I started studying communications, I think it really felt like the shoe fit. So I'm, I'm grateful that it led me down that path.
0: And yeah, I feel like that's what I did too. Like I did communications because I was like, oh, I want to be on e-news. I don't know how to get there communication seems Right. Yep. And then like later on, I started to see that like Juliana and all of them started, uh, they did like journalism and did master's things. Cause a lot of schools at the time, like I went to a liberal arts school, they didn't have like mass com or any of those things. So I kind of had to like yeah. make do with that and then seek outside things to get that experience.
1: Yeah. But that's great that you knew what you wanted to do. Like, I didn't even have that vision. I just thought, okay, let me print out a list of all of the majors that my campus offers. Let me just cross out all the ones that are definite no's. And then I landed on communications in a way that I thought would help me make somewhat of a difference in the world, but I had no clue this is where I wanted to be. So I'm definitely envious in a way that you (laughs) knew that this is where you wanted to land. Um, Because I definitely was like on this journey without a destination in mind.
0: No, yeah. Like, I I was one of those where it's like, I watched it and I was like, okay, I want to do what Jason Kennedy and Julian are doing. Like, that is the goal. I just got to figure out how to make it all come together. And nobody really knows, like, how it all flows. We all kind of, like, say that in retrospect and we're looking back, we're like, oh, yeah, I was here, then I went here, then I ended up. But it's like, no, it's all just like a zigzag. It's a journey.
1: Yeah. And we all have different zigzags, which I think is beautiful.
0: The hashtag goes exact. <laughs> okay. Now I want to fast forward. How did you conceptualize the idea of the conversationalist? Like, wh- Like, how did that come? Like, did you have like a first job where you were like, you know what? Like, I want to do my own thing. Like, how did that, how did this come about?
1: Yeah. And this is pretty in line with the yellow brick road that we've paved so far. Again, growing up in Kansas for me was A wonderful, humbling experience, but I think taking it back to my childhood, I realized pretty early on that I was very different from a lot of my peers. I was the only Jewish student in my entire school, and for so much of my life, I just wanted to fit in. No matter how hard I tried to be like everyone else, I felt like I still stuck out like a sore thumb, like I was always the Jewish kid. And so when I went to college, I was so excited to finally feel like I belonged, where that didn't matter. I was just with people who saw me and understood me. And so when I got to Penn, before I declared that communications major, I started just by befriending everyone around me. I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so excited (laughs) to just make friends with everyone in my classes and the dining halls. And I think I learned pretty early on that I immediately gravitated towards other Jewish kids. And I was walking through campus one day and I saw that everyone who I'd met in my classes was doing the exact same thing that I was, but with their identity groups. And that was when a light bulb really clicked for me in realizing that, okay, I actually think I was taking for granted the experience I had growing up in Kansas, where I was surrounded by people who were so different than me. And from that moment on was when I really found my own voice. And this is when I really decided that I wanted to do something to change it. And I think I never envisioned going down this career path. But when I saw an issue that I really cared about that resonated with me, I saw no other option than to pursue it because I thought, if not me, then who? And if not now, when? So I ended up starting a club at Penn called Table Talk. And the whole premise like the name implies, was to bring people together outside of their groups to make new friends and to have conversations. And this was just my first way of trying to make an impact because it was really stemmed from the issue I was experiencing on my campus. No one wanted to make new friends outside of their groups. And so once I started talking to my friends at other schools, they were like, Sophie, I I feel the exact same way. I want to make new friends, but Everyone's just stuck in groups of people who are like them. And so I started spreading it to other campuses, turned it into a nonprofit while I was still at school, and scaled table talk to 80 college and high school campuses. And so I think growing up, though I had no idea I wanted to go into this space, I was someone who was always incredibly passionate about bringing people together. I always tried to do that in my friend groups in Wichita growing up. I went to summer camp every summer and I loved working with young people and bringing people together and I think that passion was something that stayed consistent and then once I started table talk I think I realized this is this is it. Like I I'm so in empowered and passionate about this work that I couldn't see myself doing anything else. And I was incredibly lucky to be in a privileged position where I had some help getting it off the ground and being able to pursue it after graduation. And to this day, the the inspiration for the conversationalist really came from that journey with Table Talk.
0: That's so crazy, like that you spread it to Was it like local area campuses or were they like all over the country?
1: All over. It would be like a friend from high school who would be like, Sophie, like, I want to start this at my campus. And they would start it or they would put me in touch with someone at their school. So it was super grassroots. But it showed me that the issue was universal. Like, Colin, did you experience that all? Did you experience that in school where people were in groups of people who were like them and didn't really want to branch out?
0: Like, I feel like for me and like... In college and stuff, like, I've always had, like, friends in different groups, like, even in high school and stuff, like, I had, like, the theater kids the like, skater burnout kids the like, quote-unquote popular kids, like, the preppy kids, like, all the different groups, and I kind of was, like, that floated, that floated with all the groups, because it's, like, I really, I like, like you, like, I like people, I like talking, so I relate to people in aspects, and so I was always, like, floating from, I never had, like, a set click, and even in college, I like my set group of friends that, but we all, into different things like I had some who were theater majors, some who were in poli sci some who were in um art like we all had different perspectives so I wouldn't even say that like all of us were similar had the same interests because we all had different things so because I was like with those people and like we were all always talking about like different perspectives and different things like it always made me be like oh this is cool like I want to hang out and talk to all types of people and so I had like cliques that were in different different genres and different things, which was really cool.
1: That's really cool. And I think you and I have definitely somewhat of that in common. Like I definitely was someone who felt like I could be a part of different groups at different times. But at the same time, I felt like I was that person at Penn who was trying to challenge the status quo. Like I picture that scene from high school musical where everyone's saying like, (laughs) no, we need to stay in our groups. You need to stay in your bubbles. And I was the person that was saying, what what's the point of life if we're not going to be surrounded by people who are different from us and so that's really what kick-started that journey and then the whole process of starting the conversationalist is another but that's how it all got started
0: oh my gosh that's so cool okay so now walk us into the conversationalist like the first year like how was that like getting that off the ground
1: yeah so i i would say the only piece i want to share before sharing that is that Once I figured out the table talk problem, right, like bringing people together outside of their friend groups, I actually realized that there was another layer to this, which was that people don't talk to people who have different views than them. And this was something I only realized during the 2016 election. And maybe this was just my own experience, but my campus felt incredibly polarized, People were only willing to talk to you if you were vocal about voting for Hillary, and no one wanted to engage with anyone who had a different point of view. And regardless of where I stand politically, I felt like there was something wrong with the fact that no one wanted to have conversations with people who even showed them a different way of thinking, not necessarily even just around the election. And so that experience led me to sitting in one of my classes one evening, the night before the election, and my professor says his views openly to our entire class and said, if you don't vote for this candidate, you're doing a disservice to our country. And in that moment, I don't know what came over me, but I stood up and I walked out of the classroom. And in that moment, I think I realized that what I had built with Table Talk could be so much more because we're all so trapped in our echo chambers. So I took pen to paper. I wrote this like article manifesto about why our generation needs to break out of these echo chambers. And we have to start listening to each other. Even if we don't agree, we just have to find a way to understand where someone else is coming from. And then that article ended up being published in the Huffington Post. And that was the spark behind the conversationalist. And getting it off the ground, it all started with market research. I thought, okay, if I wanted to create something, it had to be something people needed. And so I couldn't make sure, I had to make sure that it wasn't just me who was feeling this way. And so I ended up starting a ton of conversations with people who all interact with Gen Z to to really better understand why our generation is struggling to have these conversations. Phone interviews, I did all of this synthesis and came up with a solid research report on why the conversationalist would be the right solution. To get gen z talking to each other so that was step one and then on top of that i think one of the biggest things that helped get me started in year one was outreach and i know this is something you do constantly call it especially with your show Mm -hmm. but i'm someone who has always put myself out there no matter what the result is and a lot of that was cold outreach emailing a ton of people asking to hop on phone calls and just trying to pitch people my vision and see what their response was. So that was my my first step. It was doing that market research to better understand if this was something people needed and wanted. And then on top of that, being able to start talking to the right people because your net, it, it's really about who you know and you know, who are we without the people who know us. And that was really what got me started.
0: Hi. Yeah, that's so cool. And I feel like it's so important to just make sure everybody feels comfortable to share their opinion and just like be able to talk. So I feel like if we don't hear other people's sides and other people's perspectives, like we don't really learn and grow from that. It's like we have to be within reason, like definitely like whatever. But I feel like it's just so important to know how to talk to different people because it's like you're not going to be in an environment where you're only going to be with like-minded people, like knowing how to talk to people in a manner that's like civil and helping get your point across or hearing from them, you have to be able to know to do that in a manner that like everybody feels heard and create space for that.
1: Yeah. And I love what you said about within reason, right? Like I'm not forcing the concept of conversation on someone when you know that that dialogue is going to be bad for your mental health or could indirectly harm you. And I think it's mastering the art of dialogue. So we know how to hone those skills, whether it be in the workplace, at the dinner table, on social media, because to some degree, even if you don't agree with that person's view, it could help you grow or just reaffirm your own belief system.
0: Yeah, like I, I'm a true believer in like, like, for whether it's like whether we agree or not, like I think it's safe that like we can set the conversation and be like, hey, like, will this like we might not agree on the same thing, but I want you to make feel like you have space and that you can feel heard. And like you said, like it's so important to also know, like, okay, if I go down this road with this person, it's we're both just going to be yelling and we're not going to hear each other. Cause it's like, if you're yelling, or you're coming from like a hostile, whatever you're setting yourself up for that person to not even hear what you said, not even like going into the, like them receiving it. But if you're coming at a posture that's very attacking and defensive or just offensive period, like you're not going to be able to hear and You're not going to be able to receive. So it's like, I feel like it's so important to just being able to be like, Hey, like, let's talk, let's figure it out. Let's figure out like, a mutual ground or like whatever, of figuring out like what works best for us.
1: Absolutely. And Colin, I mean, you're brilliant. Like that's exactly what it's all about. I think so often we have these conversations with people expecting to change their minds or to push our own perspectives or to bring someone over to our side, but it's a matter of setting the right expectation right? Because we've all been there. We've been in a conversation where we're on the defense and we're, we're constantly feeling like we have to defend ourselves or push our own views. And no one wants to be in that situation. So what if we reinvent the concept of dialogue to truly be about understanding and listening, where we can actually have the conversation in a way that we know will produce some type of outcome. We just have to communicate about it to begin with.
0: It's like how I believe that fall is the best season because we have pumpkin spice and all these things. Yes, I force my agenda on people, but that's because I'm trying to help them enlighten their surroundings that there's so much in fall that you can enjoy and that brings cheer. Do I do I get a little defensive when people are like, no, summer's better? Yes, but you know what? It's because they're wrong and I don't know where to I do mean- that. <laughs>
1: I'm not one to disagree. I also think fall is the best season. So maybe we're just being selfless and yeah. communicating that because it's our obligation because fall is the best season.
0: It's the best season. Like I'm for all those listening, like don't take it up to me or Sophie, take it up to somebody else. Like we don't make the rules. We just abide by what's there. And the rules say fall is the best season. So.
1: But hey, if someone has a good argument for a different season, I'm all ears. Um, But there's nothing like sweater weather with a PSL going apple picking. Like who could argue with that?
0: Like it's just the best. And speaking of apple picking, I love doing that with friends. But beyond friends, what I love about what you do is like you do such a good job of engaging with your audience. um, Where Mm -hmm. we or like everybody feels like they're like 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 friends and like an extension of it. And I feel like that's so hard to do, like building a community, which you really do really well. And then also like engaging with them to feel like they're part of the conversation and part of the things I feel like a lot of times like brands or content creators try to like be like oh I'm like I'm one of you guys like whatever whatever but they don't really engage with their audience and really like foster that community that, that they're building or that they built and so do you have any like tips or things that you do to really make sure that you're engaging with your audience and your community where they feel like they're part of it versus like you're just talking at them
1: Absolutely. And Colin, that was so nice of you to say thank you for thinking that about the work that I do. I I think about communicating with my community as just having conversations. Whenever I craft a post or as you know, I, I tend to share about a lot of current events going on in the world and engaging people in a dialogue around that. And I remember that going back to my research when I was starting the conversationalist, one of the biggest findings that came out of that research was that young people don't know enough about these hard topics in order to feel com- confident talking about them. So, whenever I'm posting about a current event, I try to think okay, if I was grabbing coffee, getting a pumpkin spice with a friend, and I was <laughs> explaining what was happening in the world to them, how can I communicate it in a way that I know? would be heard or well-received. So I think knowing your audience to some degree and catering to the people that may may not know enough is a great place to start. So you can make sure that whatever you're communicating about, it can reach the maximum amount of people if you present it in a way that you know can be engaging in conversation. So I speak with my audience and my community like I would a friend over coffee. And I think that's something I always try to channel into my messaging. And then, secondly, I think a lot of brands right now, or personal brands who have communities, I think a lot of times where they get it wrong is when they only engage with their community around their product, their brand, or their service. Right? Like we can picture maybe our favorite influencer or our favorite brand that only thinks of us as a consumer of their product instead of a whole human being. So in our community at the conversationalist, we make sure that we always see the full Gen Zer for who they are, right? Because yes, they're passionate about our mission of unifying, but that's not their sole purpose on this earth. You know, they have so many other facets of their identity. And I think communities shine when they tap into the holistic consumer or community member. So for me maybe it's not always talking about the hard-hitting news and my mission but it's talking about Taylor Swift it's talking about the fall it's you know bringing up things that will resonate with someone not just because of the mission but because of other aspects of their identity and that to me has been able to help create a relationship right because Colin, I'm sure you can think of your best friends and you connect over shared interests, favorite TV shows things that make us human. And I think when we start to engage with our audience in a way that feels and taps into that humanity, that's where we can really score.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's always like, it's like, you have to come into it knowing like, you know, like, no, I want to hear this person. I want to find a way to connect. Because a lot of times people are like, I don't really know how to talk to that person. And like, re- whether it could be just like somebody in their office, or they're like, oh, I see them, but I don't talk to them. It's like, you have to kind of like, we talked about like wanting to engage and really find that common interest and be like, you know what, like, no, I don't want it to be a one-way thing. I want to engage with them. I want to do this. So like you said, like finding examples or entry points into creating that like sense of it to be like, okay, here we go. Like, let's build off of here and just see where it goes. But you have to kind of want that. You can't just be like, oh, like it would be nice, but like, I don't really, don't really know what to do. Glad they're here. Glad they're like doing their part, but like, whatever. It's like, (laughs) no.
1: exactly. And I think it's so important to take the initiative to give. I think so often, When And maybe this is a hot take, but I think a lot of influencers on social media can be thought of as the heroes of their own story. And one of the most brilliant things that a mentor ever taught me is that the most powerful thing that we can do as leaders or young influentials is guide and give people the value that you can help them see and guide them through that. Be the camp counselor of your own destiny and help coach people through whatever you're trying to communicate instead of making it all about you, because that's not how we make impact. And I think going back to the idea of conversation, the more that we can give to our customer community member consumer, the more they may even buy into your mission, but it's all about giving first and selling second. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the best ways to do that is to be the guide of your own story, not the hero.
0: No, that's so true. Uh, and going back to that point like I feel like what's also key is like to just know going into it being like you know what, like there's an actual person I feel like a lot of times we forget that's an actual person behind the screen where it's like oh I have 2.5 million followers like cool I love that you're here it's like that's an actual person so like when you come at it from the mindset of like no that's an actual person there that I want to connect with that like you said like I want to coach I want to bring in I want to whatever actually like have an influence on that and would really be like that light of joy or that moment of whatever to them, the whole, your whole system changes and it starts to come way more natural when you take that stance.
1: Yeah. But it goes both ways, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I like to believe that the more human and real I can be with my community, the more they will have that same energy back to me. But sometimes I think our communities tend to forget that we're humans too, Like I've definitely received a lot of nasty comments or messages on social media from people who don't know me or assume certain things about me and don't even seek to understand where I'm coming from. And so I hope that as we talk about remembering that our our users and our followers and our community members are real people behind screens. I hope that they can give that same energy back to us that are trying to make a positive impact and to enter into dialogue instead of immediately jumping mm-hmm. to assumptions or judgment or cancellation. Cause that's where we miss the opportunity
0: for conversation. No, I completely, I completely agree. Like it's a two, I always tell people like it's a two way street, regardless of what it is, it's a two way street. So if like you, if you want to dish that out, like, you have to be willing to, like, receive that and do it both ways. Absolutely. Um, but for my last question, like, for anybody who's listening, it's like, cool, Sophie, love that you do this, like, love that. But, like, I'm having a hard time of like, finding the channels to, like, have, create space for those open dialogues and those open uh, discussions, whether it's at home or at work or in any type of environment. Like, what advice do you have for, like, kind of setting up the space is setting up the scene for people to have like open honest dialogue like where they can really listen to understand.
1: This is why I get up out of bed every single day, <laughs> So um the advice that I would give is only advice that I I need to take myself and is what I try to practice, which is it all starts with you. If you are looking to create that space to have a hard conversation, or you're exploring the idea of bringing up a tough subject to a friend or a family member or a mentor or a colleague, it has to start with you. Meaning, if you don't know where you stand, and you don't feel prepared going into that conversation, and you don't feel confident in your own voice, it's going to be very difficult to maintain your own voice throughout that dialogue. So start with you question where your beliefs come from, really understand what your voice is. And for that particular dialogue, know the intention for having it in the first place. Why do I want to be having that conversation? What do I hope comes out of it? And what can I do to communicate those expectations before it starts? So once you know yourself, and you've identified that expectation, then reach out to that person or group of people before starting the conversation and ask for consent. I know it may sound silly, but we've all been there where we've been in a conversation and someone catches us off guard. We were not in a place to have that dialogue. And so we were flustered. The conversation goes awry and it becomes a shit show. So I think the best thing that you can do is get someone else's buy-in to have that conversation. And if they say that they're not in a place to have it, just shrug it off okay, let me know when you are. I would love to have that conversation when you're ready. Because like you said, Colin, a conversation or a relationship is a two-way street. So know yourself in your voice, set an intention or expectation for that dialogue, create the space to have consent to have that conversation. And then going into it, remember that it's okay if the only thing that comes out of it is you communicating your ideas and listening to the other persons as well. I think rounding out that advice, the, the two things I want to leave your listeners with Colin is one, how can we listen to others with the same fiery passion we feel for being heard? That's number one. Go into every interaction wanting to be curious and understand and listen Because when you bring that energy to a conversation, more than likely that person will give that energy back to you. And lastly, like we said earlier on, Colin, it's so easy to have a conversation with the intention of wanting to change someone's mind or bring them over to your side. But in reality, the best thing we can do is seek understanding in a conversation. And the last question I'll leave you with is how will we ever change someone's mind if we can't understand it first? So that's what I would share. And if anyone needs guidance, reach out to me, send me a message and we can practice that conversation before you have it.
0: Uh, You just uh, dropped so much knowledge on us. Like we're done. We're done. We're done. Wrap it up. Everybody go home. So, so good. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for just being here today and just like bringing that nice energy over here and, Blessing our, blessing, I was going to say, channel is not YouTube. Blessing our podcast.
1: (laughs) Colin, absolutely. It's hard to not bring a positive energy with you on the other end of this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for creating a space to really listen to Gen Z voices and young influentials. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this.
0: Thank you. Wow. How great was this episode? If you were like me, you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments. So if you do, feel free to add us at Adweek across Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. And we'd love to hear from you all. And feel free to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That always helps us. And we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode. So bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Young Influentials, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Al Manarino executive produced by Chris Aarons and edited by Lane McGibney at Bountville Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.